Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. So I basically decided just to take the next several verses. And uh, reading through Matthew, I would say they are the verses that no one would ever want to talk about. Because on the surface, they kind of seem rather dry and inspiring. But um, as I sat and thought about them, um, there's so much life in there and there's so much that Jesus can tell us through those like Peter and Greg, those scriptures. So um, that's my um, Yeah, I'm trying to squash it all on the same page and feel it go. But um, basically, I'll, it can just stay there, but I won't go. Um, basically, it's that section where Jesus talks about the law, the law and the prophets. And uh, none of us are terribly inspired by that, but we've moved on. But one of the things that we have to understand when we read the Gospels is that sometimes we read the Gospels with all our knowledge about the epistles. And the audience that Jesus had when he was talking to them, these are people who lived under the law. The law was worked into every part of their culture and every part of their everyday lives. You could say they were oppressed by the law. In fact, that's what Paul says in his writings. So, you know, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the people he's talking to are Jews. They are a collective group of people. Most of them would have been like political, working class, or below that. And scattered amongst them, there would have been the wealthy, those who held high status, and they would have been primarily Pharisees and religious leaders. They held the highest status but everyone was enmeshed in the law. That's what they knew. Their everyday life was governed by the law, which started off with 10 from Moses and ended up with 600 plus. You can read that through the book of Deuteronomy. So this is the group that Jesus is talking to. And... Um, when I started reading Matthew, and I was kind of conscious of his audience, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus was actually being blasphemous in the way he was talking, what he was saying. For example, um, Romans 5, like things like, um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You remember when Jesus called himself the Son of God? You know, that, that was not acceptable under the law. Things like, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. No one was supposed to see God. So Jesus is saying stuff to them that was really outside of the law. And we read that with the knowledge of the cross. And we just read that and go, yeah, 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 that's right. But 
think about them, they would have struggled with some of that. And I think Jesus, um, like we talk about the um, Israelis being, uh, you know, half-hearted and all through the scriptures you read that kind of stuff. But Jesus also saw the tender part of his people, the, the people who long, you know, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be filled. He saw the tender part. He saw the heart. And this, in a sermon now, he's addressing a lot of heart issues that were either not in the law or against the law. So this is the framework that where Jesus is speaking. So then he comes to say this, um, verse 17. If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. So it's kind of like he's saying all this kind of rather romantic stuff, hard stuff to them, and then blood says, I'm not doing away with the law. Now, what did he mean by that? Like, obviously, he's saying that because either he got that kind of feedback, you trying to do away with the law, or he sensed what people were thinking in the that you know the people were speaking with. And he says, No, I haven't come to set aside the law of Moses, which we also call the old covenant, which we also call covenant of the law, which we also call covenant of all of those names, um, he said, I have come to fulfill and bring to perfection all that has been written. And once again, with the knowledge that we have through the epistle, we know Jesus was the only one who ever kept the law. No one else kept the law perfectly. Mind you, the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders had a pretty good go at it. But they never kept the law. Even Paul said, you know, I was kind of up there amongst the best of them in the people the law. But no one could keep the law. So Jesus came, the words in the Greek then, to perfect the law, to complete the law, to fill it up so it's kind of finished. So Jesus came actually to fulfill complete the law. And he did that for a reason. Pharaohs to speak. And then he said, um, Indeed, I assure you, as long as heaven and earth endure, that even the smallest detail of the law will be done away with until, until its purpose is fulfilled. So, what was the purpose of the law? That's the question. What was the purpose of the law? So, you read through Romans 6, 5, 6, 7, you read through um, some of the chapters. Corinthians, we read through Colossians 3, you'll see what I'm saying to you. Twofold purpose. One was so that man would know what sin was. So you think about they came out of Egypt, the Egyptian culture. So God was establishing a new culture. And we know that the law is good. Thou shalt not do it. That's a great idea. So he's establishing what God's standards of what sin is. And in Romans 7, 7, Paul says this, um, 
If it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't even know what sin was. That's what Paul said. I wouldn't know what it was, except for the law. The other purpose of the law was to show man that he couldn't do the law. Man could not keep the law because the law, keeping the law meant you achieve your own righteousness. And man cannot achieve his own righteousness. So the law showed mankind that no matter how hard they tried, they could not keep the law, therefore, therefore, we never saved We never decided. And that was the twofold purpose of the law. So when Jesus came, the purpose of the law in his fulfilling it was achieved. Next scripture. Basically, I'm going to read that. The first time there, he's basically saying, you know, the law is good. The law is good. And we know the law is good. You read the Ten Commandments, every one of us would say, that is good. But the law is good. And if you read Deuteronomy 28, you see in there, um, God says, if you keep all the commands, not harm, not knowing what is sin, if you keep all the commands, you'll get all the blessing. They couldn't keep all of the commands, so that's when God instituted ceremonial sacrifice. Because they couldn't because he still wanted, them, still wanted to bless them, then they um, sacrificed to get one to share. The sins were covered and they were in God's standing. They couldn't achieve righteousness through keeping the law. So, the next verse. Actually, in, um, I'm just remembering in Hebrews 8. Um, it says this, the law was good. There's nothing wrong with the law, but Jesus found fault with the people. Sorry, the Father, God, found fault with the people because they couldn't keep the law. And then straight away he says, therefore, I'm going to give a new covenant. This is the heart of the way, the new covenant. So I tell you, unless your lives are more pure and full of integrity, Religious scholars and the Pharisees, I mean, seriously, did Jesus think the Pharisees were pure and had integrity? No. So, why is he saying that? He's saying that because, in terms of the law, they were kind of almost perfect. So, they had the law down pat. Again and again, you'll see through the gospel that Jesus challenges their heart. Right? So, they were the guardians of the law. They kept the law. They were the guardians of the law. So, how does that relate to us? Okay. I thought about, I've just quickly did this this morning. I thought about, okay. What is it like to live a life where you have this idea in your head, which is the law, God, if I do this, then you will do that. That's the law, Deuteronomy. If you do this, then I will bless you. 
What does it mean to the viewpoint of So I just thought about things that I have done in my life to try and get God to like me or try and get God to approve of me. And I remember as a very young Christian, just became a Christian, went away to Christian camp. Now I'm like, I don't know anything. I have no Christian background. I'm kind of like the dummy in the group. But there was this girl. The Lord reminded me, I haven't thought about her in years, but I remember this morning there was this girl who to me just epitomised everything that anyone would ever want to be inside a Christian. She was a really beautiful human being. She was lovely to everyone. She was sweet and kind and loving. And I'm thinking, that's I'm going to be. But I actually couldn't be like that. I don't have a lot of sweetness in my personality. I've often thought when I get really old, I'm old now, but really, really old, maybe people describe me as that's not like but you know she was just so amazingly gracious and beautiful and I so much wanted to be like her but I couldn't be like her and I tried really hard see I adopted her standard I didn't adopt the standard of God I adopted her standard and made it a rule and a law in my own life so what happened was this. Oh, oh, the next slide. Sorry. This is what set in. I felt unworthy. I felt hopeless. Like I can never be like her. Oh, okay. Which one? That's the next one. Damn you, man. That's just the sweetest thing. The second slide. He's crying. Nope. That's the next. We got Matthew. No, it's what about the second slide? The whole lot. And that. That's it. I forget that. Blank. Blank it out. Um, I wrote these words down, sense of unworthiness. You know, just that thing of I can never actually measure up. The hope, that feeling of hopelessness, the feeling of actually not being good enough, I can never be like her. I'm just not good enough. The being very conscious of every time I sing because she wouldn't. Like she wouldn't have said that to Feeling condemned most of the time. Feeling ashamed who I was because I couldn't live up to my internal rules and regulations of aspiring to be like her. And this is the key too. It was based on what I was doing. So the law is always based on what I do. The new covenant is based on what Jesus did. And there's a huge difference. And um, I remember listening to, I was in a group of people staying back maybe 10 years ago. And they were all saying this. 
is ironed through the Bible once in a year. They're all saying, yeah, I do that too. I don't do that. You know, this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, right. From now on, I'm going to read the Bible through, a whole Bible through in 12 months. So, of course, you know the end of the story. Well, actually, it did happen because I can speak read. So I just grew one more shot like that and I repeated two or three weeks. I read the whole Bible right through. Great achievement. But I didn't remember anything. I only remembered the things I already knew. Honestly, I didn't remember anything. So I gave myself an eternal law which was based on me doing something. To say people do the same thing with fasting. I'm going to fast. I used to go to twist off the arm, give me what I want fast. No, fasting doesn't twist off the arm. Well, fasting does all fasting does. What fasting does is amazing, but what fasting does is tune you in to what God is saying so that you understand what's happening in the spiritual world. That's what fasting does. It's not going to make any difference to God's idea. It's not going to make you any more spiritual. So this is the bottom line. When you feel that you need to do something to receive God's blessing, acceptance, approval, love, you say again, when you believe or when you feel you need to do something to receive God's blessing, gives love, approval, when you do that, you have moved, you have placed yourself, taken yourself out of the new covenant, and you are now functioning in the old covenant. How do I know that? Because those things are based on what you will do, not based on what Christ has done. The new covenant is the covenant of grace and we can't earn anything. We believe and receive. We don't do it to get it. We believe and we receive. So when you feel that you need to do something to get God's approval, you have removed yourself from the new covenant. You are now living under the old covenant of the law. Now, Paul said in Romans 6 or 7, something around there. The law is good, and I thought the law would give me life, but in actual fact, he uses this phrase, it took me. So these internal laws that we put into our hearts, we think, if I do this, God will be happy. Or sometimes if I do this, people will see me as a good Christian. It's the same thing. Aspiring to do things that are not actually the work of the Spirit in your life. One of the things I commonly hear is this I'm not a good prayer. I'm not a good prayer. So I'm in a circle of people, you know, that person, they think real intercessor. I can't, I can't even think. The things they pray don't even come into my mind. I don't know how they can think of all that stuff to pray for. So straight away the unworthiness gets to the point of this. 
unworthiness gift, gift, you know, this is how I'm hopeless, I'm a hopeless prayer. I'm not good enough, I'm not as good as her, not as good as him. We become condemned because it's all based on our ability. And I would ask you the question, has God told you that you're not good enough? What with that one? We're all good prayers. We all have the encounter with God and we can pray whatever it is into our heart. You don't have to use certain words or go on and on and on. In fact, I'm trying to like economics books. We think so probably the government right now, but you know, like economy. If you can say it in three words, why say it in two pages? Like God's the one who's hearing. It's like the Pharisees who prayed publicly and shamed everyone else because no one else could pray on. So God does not want us to have these internal standards of I do this and God will do that. Or if I don't do this, God will be unhappy and this will be a consequence. You know, people talk about things like um, you know I have to have a quiet time every day. And if you have a quiet time every day, great, good on you. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't have to be a rule so that if you don't do it, you slip into, oh, no, I hope it's good. I didn't pray this It's going to be a lousy day. If you think, you know, if you think, if I don't have a quiet time, I'm going to have a lousy day, that's what you'll have. But if you think, I'm going to have a quiet time, but I'm really connected to God. I'm going to have a great day. You'll be great. We need to get away from all the rules and regulations because they are, they will attach themselves to a religious And we are free from the law. We don't have to be quiet. But I don't have a quiet time every day. Al does. He's super. It's my time every day. I do like Al go downstairs and pray for an hour, half an hour, he's upstairs with my coffee. And then he uh, you know, reads his Bible for you know, another half hour or whatever it was. Whereas I'll come and sit there and have coffee, be in a daydream, watch the news, and I might read my Bible for a little bit, and I might hang out with God and say, what, What's happening with you? You know. Just be relaxed about God. You know, the more I know God, the more I realize the power is just in being with us. In fact, I had this experience, and some of you were there, and I had this experience the other night, because we have an intimacy with God group. And there was a moment in that where I just felt, you know, I'm just happy to be in God's presence. And I thought, I kind of said to God, Oh, really? oh, I don't know how serious, you know, there's people afraid of And I just felt God saying to me, yeah, 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 we'll get to that right now. We can do the serious stuff later, right now. Let's just hang out and enjoy the moment. And God is very much like that. When it, we really need to get rid of all these rules and regulations that we think we need to apply, or standards that other people set. Be free in God to find your own way. So I referred earlier to the fact that um, 
Paul said, I sought the law to bring me life. Hear the word of God. Hear the word of God. I thought the law would bring me life. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And one of the lines of one of the songs we sang was the Spirit of God. The Spirit gives life. So we come to this scripture here, which I think I was not blaming you, Warren. So, at the end of Romans 7, Paul is talking about, you know, I'm trying to do all those rules, it just doesn't work, help. Who's going to help me? And he says, okay, Jesus. Then he says this verse that uh, I have to confess my favourite verse in the whole Bible. And many of us have favourite There is no condemnation for those who have trusted. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, this overconsciousness of sin, where sin has been forgiven, will lead us into condemnation and will then start internalizing rules and regulations that we think we have to stick with so that God can let me tell you the good news of the gospel. God already approves it. He has made you worthy. And there's, there are no exceptions to that. And you can't actually do anything to undo that. You are always acceptable and always approved by God. But you see, this is the thing about someone telling you this when you work it out in your own spiritual journey. So, so I was kind of um, look, for maybe a year now I've been thinking off and on about the word life. And it's kind of fascinating word, the word life. What does it mean? The spirit of life. What's all that about? So I've kind of dug around a bit in the Bible. Um, before I come actually sorry. Right thing. After verse 20, you know, where it's talking about the fulfillment of the law, you notice he then goes on to say, you know, if you've heard it say, don't remember. Well, I'm saying to you, if you hate and angry, if you defeat me, or you go to my kingdom, you know, you're on the edge. So, in that, and the whole chapter goes on to talk about that. So, in that, just as in the first lesson, is addressing the issue of the heart. So, this is what it says in the covenant. This is the new covenant. So, we don't have an external law anymore. We have a law that God has written in our minds and in our hearts. And um, the law is the renewed life of Christ. So, we, we know when that comes and it's written in our heart, there are things we just know about how to live a Christian life. I grew up in a home that no Christianity at all. I became a Christian when I was 18. I knew nothing, like nothing. 
environment. The first thing I remember I went to fellowship and going out for coffee and I liked chocolate milkshake actually. Chocolate milkshake. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, like this is maybe three days after I got saved. And I thought, I thought different about all the people around me. Before this, I couldn't give them a crap about it. And now just think, I think I might love something. You know, because the law is in you. The law of God is in you. The law of love starts to work. And I, that's my first indication. I'm 80 years old. The first indication that something is different is I felt lost. Realized I saw people. Unfortunately, that didn't transfer to my parents for a while. And then God says this amazing thing I will be their God and I will be their This has always been God's heart to have a people. And I think it's always been our heart to have a God. It's always been our heart to say, You are my God. And to be drawn into and embrace God. So then, no longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord for yourself. Does this mean we all need to be taught, we all need to listen to podcasts, go to church, read the Bible, we all need to teach you? What this means is because God has put his law in our mind and our heart, we now have the capacity to have a personal relationship with him. So no one can say to me, you have to know God exactly what I know him. No, I have my own relationship. You can't have my relationship with God and I don't know yours. You don't want mine and I don't want yours. We want our own relationship with God. And that's the precious thing about the new covenant. He, I found God responds to me in ways that reflect my own personality. And it's just wonderful and amazing. That he knows us so well that he can seek intimacy with us in those places where we don't even realize it is. And how can all that happen? Because of the cross. Our sins forgiven. Uh, last time when I spoke at church, we had a little kind of discussion groups about um, what is eternal life. People say that, yeah, oh, yeah, interesting answers on what is eternal life. Um, and I think most of us have kind of had this notion that, you know, we get saved and that's when we enter into eternal life. But we kind of like, eternal life is from now on. The Bible actually doesn't support that. And I can't remember the scripture, but I know it's one of the Timothy's. Chapter 1, verse 9. And it says this that we were in Christ before the beginning of time. So there's something like eternity means what Ephesians, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, 4, as well. And I know it's in Timothy too. Thank you, Mr. Bible Um It's been sweet. Um, when we think of eternity, like eternity is 
no beginning, no end. So God, uh, we have been in Christ before time began. I worked this out. The Bible is gracious enough to give us a time frame for the story of humanity in the beginning of the world. But we all know God never had a beginning. He has always been and always will be. Oh, this is very mystical. This is all very mystical and hard to understand, even hard to explain. But um, there's something about that that is kind of really exciting to me that I've always, always been in Christ, meaning I've always, always been in His heart. You could never, ever tell me that God was in love. It's so foreign to my thinking, but it hasn't always been. I think most of us have. Struggling to believe that. But this is the truth. We have always been in Christ in some mystical way. So we come to this scripture about knowing the Lord. Know the Lord. In this eternal life that we live. Look at this scripture. This is Jesus before the cross. Praying to the Father. Verse 2, for you grant him, that's Jesus himself, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now, what is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. That's what eternal life is. So can you see that there's a... Um, an embrace of the Trinity that we have been, that we have entered into. A life, this, this community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where there is energy, creativity, love, unity, joy, peace, that's where we are. That is our destiny and that is our calling. And people who teach on, like my dear We'll talk about things like the child of God. You know, we have the, uh, the love of the Father. They'll talk more on that one. But, you know, I think the whole notion of knowing God and being in the embrace of the Trinity goes way beyond being a child of God, way, way beyond that. And some of the scripture that I, you know, I'll tell you honestly how I feel. I often feel like this is a really better for me. I often feel a little bit murdered i to find out something, and that's how I feel about this. I think there's something, something mystical out there. Now, I'm going to be in it. I don't know how to describe it, but it's about the life of God, the spirit of life. It's about eternal life, and it's about the community, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I am there. I'm not wanting to be there. I am there. We are all there. We've been in Christ since before time began. This is where we are. This is where we dwell. This is our identity. This is our calling. This is our destiny in God to be in the clutches of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're not going to get there by doing jobs. We're not going to get there by performance. We're going to get there by believing and taking it into our hearts. We don't have to work. I try to be there. I am. I just need to discover more about being there. 
I find that just so exciting. I'm beside myself. Okay, the script of which is just going to underscore. Now, I'm going to have two extractions in front. One is the gospel, and the other is the epistle. It says it much the same. So, in the beginning was the word, if there was no beginning. If there was a beginning, the word was there. We know the word is Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And this verse here. In him was life. And that life was the light of the world. In him was life. Jesus came to show us that life. What life? The life that he lived with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we have been accepted into living that life. This is where we are. That life. This one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim, like he's proclaiming this, concerning. The word of life. He doesn't say Jesus. He says the word of life. So Jesus came, he's saying, we're proclaiming what we saw. We saw Jesus, we heard him speak, and we were touching. And we're proclaiming to you that he was the word of life. The life appeared. He doesn't say Jesus appeared. He said the life appeared. What life? The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Like, this is all very mystical. Half the time I'm saying it, I don't know what I'm talking about, but anyway, you can work out what I'm with me. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was Jesus. And the life that he had. The Father and the Holy Spirit. The eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Like he's saying, we saw that life. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So John entered into that life. He entered into that embrace. He entered into that fellowship of intimacy. In that fellowship, there is freedom, there is untold joy and untold peace. And as I've been kind of working through the scriptures and thinking about them, I've thought I've changed the way I do something. Let me give you an example. Um, over the last two or three weeks, I've heard things about people that have, you know, their struggles in life that have come to Sydney and what worried me. So, this has just happened over the last two weeks. So, what I decided to do, I decided, I just said, Father, I'm just entering into that life. Entering into that life where there is joy, where there is peace. 
and I had to know I'd only been in peace after really worrying about these people. So that's all I did, just in my mind, I just ended that circle and said, I, I stand for peace, I'm playing with peace, I'm playing with joy in this situation. And it totally changed the way I saw the whole thing. Because in that place, you get the heart of God and you know how to pray. And to be frank with you, I've basically decided I didn't need to pray. It's not that. Because my problem really was my lack of peace, trust in God. And once I entered that life, that joy and that peace just came upon me. So I'm, I'm doing that more and more. Endeavouring to move into that life force, that creativity, the love of God. All of those things that we read about and hear about. And that's what I want for all of us. I want all of us to together, you know, to enter into that place. And just one last scripture. Because um, Jesus said this, and I think it's important. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. He said he was the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then I pointed at that last bit. It's great on me. I'll start, I have studied ancient language, one ancient language, and I know that this bottom part is actually the best translation. If you want to know how I know, you can ask me later. No one comes to the Father except in me. It's up to the translators to decide on the preposition. Yeah? So you can actually have in or with. And you can have through, you can have by, well. So I'm choosing in because I think that is more scriptural. We come to the Father in Christ. So it's like we don't pass through Jesus. We, don't, we haven't left Jesus behind because we passed through Jesus to the Father. No, we're in Christ and we're coming to that life with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we are there with them. And that's what the life is about. So I just want to really encourage you to seek God for yourself. You can't know my relationship, and I can't know yours. We hear what other people say, and it should set us on the of discovering for ourselves how that relates to us and what it is for us. So I'm just going to finish. I think we're going to finish. And uh, I think make two prayers. First prayers. I'll say it and you can kind of say anything about it. We'll wait a minute. Father, will you tell me what areas, if any, that I have in my life where I have set standards or I feel like I need to do certain things to get God through. You show me that, Jesus. Next prayer. God, will you show me what I need to know about that life? I mean, you can obviously follow that in your own times with God. Um, actually, I think we did go up and deep. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
So uh, I just want to thank all of those scriptures, but it's awesome. We need to have everything. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.